Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. From flooding to development to affordable housing, those are some of the issues that concern small business owner Jason Sacrin. And that's why he's running for Charleston City Council's District Free Seat. I speak exclusively with Jason for a special edition of Quintez Pulse-Ups. And be sure to download the free Quintez Pulse-Ups app in your Apple or Google Play stores. And subscribe to this YouTube channel as well. Jason Sacrin, it's so good to see you. It's nice to see you too again. It's been it's been a while. It has been a while, uh, and I know I wanted to catch up with you because obviously you're making some news. You are running for Charleston City Council District Three, and on your website you said this quote: "My name is Jason Sackrick. I'm running for City Council District Three. I'm a husband, a father, a small business owner, and an education leader. Charleston is at a critical point. What's that critical point right now?" Sure, and that's a great question. So let me just back up. So as a father and a husband and education leader, uh, small business owner, I have that unique perspective on, on what's going on in Charleston. And, and the critical point that we're at in Charleston is, uh, in particular with District 3, is just a lack of visionary leadership uh, on city council, and that extends past District 3. Um, I think there are decisions being made every day by our city councilmen, by our mayor, that affect us not just the next couple years, but the next 10, 15, 20 years. Uh, so it's imperative that we have someone on council that represents the entire district and that can articulate a vision uh, for the next 15 to 20 years and also bring folks together in, in our in District 3. And I'm just talking about specifically sure. District 3. Sure. Very diverse district. Right. Um, so that's the main reason I'm running is to, is to bring that vision, that unique perspective that I have as a business owner, uh, as an education leader to, to council, and also uh, timely two-way communication. Uh, that the other second reason is it's imperative, uh, given this day of age and how fast information travels, right. that we have someone that is not only pushing out information, uh, but receiving information from constituents in a timely fashion. How would you articulate that vision for 5, 10, 15 years if you were on city council today? Absolutely. That's a great question. Uh, for me, it's all about listening. I think political leaders uh, spend a lot of time talking and a lot of time pushing their agenda. And for me, there will be several questions you ask, you ask me today that um, I'm going to give you the, the non-politically correct answer, which is, I don't know. I'm still doing my own research on that. Um, I spent the past three, four months since I've announced speaking to business leaders, teachers, um, citizens, developers, trying to get their perspective. So to answer your question, um, I'm not going to sit here and articulate a vision for the next 20 years right today, but I'm going to tell you that I would speak to all the interested players <clears throat> in our community. And when I get elected, I will have a clear path and vision for the next 15 to 20 years. And that takes uh, input and buy-in from some of our stakeholders and folks that are impacted in the community. Uh, so if we talk about affordable housing, making sure that we're speaking to not just um, citizens, but the developers and those that work in our nonprofit community organizations that work uh, directly with, with, with the affordable housing issue every day. I mean, they're on the ground. Right. It's, it's in our best interest to listen to, to some of the um, concerns and some of the solutions that they have. As we sit here right now, what problems do you want to solve if you were on city council for District 3? Sure. So right now, the two, two issues that I, that I see facing our district, particular District 3, 
um, are affordable housing, um, and then a lack of leadership, okay. and constituent services. So around affordable housing, we have to define as a community what affordable housing means. I think there's a lot of misnomers and, and stereotypes to what affordable housing is, so it'd be nice to be able to define that for my constituents and, and, the, and the broader community. So right now, uh, we need to do more for those that are in need of very affordable housing, which is 60% of the median income, and continue to do more for those that are in the affordable housing range, which is 60 to 80%, and then workforce housing, which of course is 80 to 120%. Okay. Um, I think we need to, to, to focus a, like a laser on those that, that are in need of the very affordable housing and not diminish the fact that it's, it's, it's had a disproportionate negative impact on the African-American community here in Charleston. With those problems, how would you unite District 3? Sure. So I think right now, the issues that we face as a district and as a community do not see um, uh, racial divides. For example, affordable housing and flooding, um, our public education system, um, for, for the most part, those affect every constituent in the district, uh, white, black, Hispanic, neighborhood, it doesn't matter. So I think part of it is, is, is articulating a vision that everyone can buy into and that everyone has a uh, stake in the game. So uh, the issue of public education, for example, is, is a great one. You know, although city councilmen do not have a, um, a legal authority right. because we have a, a county board, right. um, I do think that uh, the city needs to take a more active role in, in making sure that we can carve out and, and offer a higher quality education for some of our downtown students and families, in particular, the question of Burke. Uh, so how would I do that? I would make sure that we get together the entire community and have an honest conversation about where are we currently with our with our data for, for Burke. I know you're a graduate of Burke, so you could probably weigh in here as well. And then what could we do to make sure that we give, not, not, not this generation and not the next generation, but the kids that are in, in fifth, sixth, seventh okay. grade as, as they enter high school, okay. we can't let another 10 years go by without solving that issue of Burke. Um, so. And when you talk about data, what is the current data now? Sure, so when you look at uh, recently, our, our, you know, just, just two weeks ago, Academic Magnet High School is ranked number one, if not the state, in the country. Uh, Bust Academy, which is at our magnet downtown, right. is, is number one in the state. Right. Um, Burke, both Burke and West Ashley, for, for the most part, are, are indexed probably in the middle of the pack in terms of their achievement. Um, Burke has, is uh, roughly three to 400 kids on that campus. That campus is designed and built for well over 1,000 when you, when you include Simmons Pink. Right. Um, so, what I would say is the data uh, suggests that a student that attends Burke um, is not getting the, his or her uh, best opportunity for the education. Uh, AP scores, for example, right. AP offerings. Right. Um, so those students deserve more. And finally, the Stony Field is just getting fixed over next to Burke after several years of, of, of that being discussed. Um, I think we need to improve um, the, the quality at Burke. But I think we need to have a discussion as a community about how we're going to do that. But it has to be an honest discussion. I know that there's there's a history with, with the Burke campus. I realize that there's a history to, to that. Um, and the demographics downtown are changing. But I think it's important and the type of leader that I would be would, to bring everyone to the table, along with, with the partnership with, with the school district and the constituent board, and make sure that we have an honest discussion about what we see. Because we cannot let another 10 years go by without addressing that issue. Stony Field. You say you want to help. Oh. Well, was, you know, you want improvements there. If you were to get those improvements, what else would you want for Stony Field? Would you want Charleston Battery there? Would you want something else there? Oh, I mean, <laughs> Quinn, I, I like the question, but I realize the what's in my wheelhouse as a city councilman. Okay. Uh, Stony Field is a, is a question and a decision for the Charleston County School Board. 
Um, the only thing I would say is if that's in my district, which I'm pretty sure it is, I would want to see the school board, and I would press them hard and advocate for um, multi-use of that field. Okay. So whether that whether that means bringing an outside uh, organization like the Battery to come in, which I think would be a great use for that field, but then you got parking issues that could cascade down okay. from that. Um, I would just make sure that that field is, is, is properly utilized for the Burke students. I mean, that first and foremost, that would be my main priority, is making sure that it's up to code, properly utilized, and, and is, and is um, up, to, up to snuff with any other f athletic facility in, in the county. And I want to go back to your website. You said this, as your representative, I will quote, provide steady, consistent, visionary leadership, as you just mentioned, that anticip anticipates needs, not reacts to them. How are you as a leader right now? Sure. So, I mean, right now I have two positions that, that I have in my professional life. One is I'm, I'm a manager um, in the school district. I manage the after-school kaleidoscope program. Uh, so I manage indirectly 450 staff members. Um, so th those, those issues that I have to deal with and, and work through every day are personnel issues, um, issues of, of discipline. So I'm, I'm pretty good at um, making sure that when we have a meeting with, a, with, a, with an employee about a, a discipline issue, that we come out of that meeting and that employee feels heard and we have a resolution to that. So I do that pretty much every day in that position. Um, as, the, as the owner of a, of a small business, um, you know, very similar issues, but just on a smaller scale. But the, 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 the issues with small business are more about um, our environment here in Charleston and how it supports small business. Okay. So um, I always try to lead by example with my staff both in both locations. And I'm also someone that, you know, has no, no issue with, with coming in and rolling up my sleeves, doing the work, and basically modeling the behavior that I want to see in, in, in the business that I'm, I'm in, or the, whether it's a school district or, or my, my restaurant business. And you also said this too, quote number two, focus on building bridges in the community by ensuring everyone is at the decision table. Right. You also said this too, more effectively communicate with all constituents on a consistent basis using a variety of tools. What communication tools will you bring to the decision table? Sure. So right now, as I said, you know, we, we are moving at light speed with news, light speed with communications. I think it's advantageous for any um, elected official to be communicating not just with email and text, uh, but using all social media forms. So whether that's Facebook or Instagram, um, I think it's very important. Um, if elected, I would immediately have a you know, monthly newsletter that comes out from, from the District 3, which is a recap of the board meetings, right. any actions that affect our citizens, um, so any regular citizen could, could sign up for that and they would see, receive it on a monthly basis. I would also be active on, on Facebook and I would also have make sure that I would have a, have a Twitter page, which I do. Right. Um, so my point is that there are, the, the technology exists where we could um, focus on communicating with different people from different places um, at different times. So not every person is going to want to text. Uh, some might just want to get that email monthly. Uh, some folks are constantly on Facebook. Right. Um, so my point is there are different tools to be using for different folks, but I would make it my effort and my goal to make sure that uh, a large majority of, of the of District 3 would be well-informed coming out of those those uh, board meetings because not every person can attend a board meeting. Uh, a lot of times those board meetings are at 5, 5.30. People are just getting out of work, heading home to their families. So it's my job to represent our district, but also share what comes out of those board meetings at a timely basis. You also said this too, your position on key issues, neighborhood sort of services, Elected officials and city governments should be using all forms of communication, phone, email, paper, social media, as you just mentioned, to ensure constituents are being heard and constituent issues are being addressed. You said this quote, I tend to use a variety of tools to ensure District 3 residents are heard and feedback regarding their concerns is respond, responded to it in a timely fashion. What are those neighborhood issues and services right now? Sure. So what I've been um, 
doing over the past four or five months since I've decided to run was really kind of quietly step into into this position and and really listen. So the things that I'm I'm hearing across the district are. Um, and, and, and again, let me just preface, this is sure. not a slight against right. Mr. Lewis, right, 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 right. who's in the current position, or it's not a slight against uh, Jason Taylor, who's who's the other opponent that we have in, in this election. Um, what I'm hearing from constituents is they want their voices to be heard a little more actively, and they want a response okay. uh, to some of the questions that they have. Um, we're all very busy. And if you're not an elected official and you don't have the opportunity to come to the board meetings, um, it's the job of the elected official to share that information in a timely fashion. And push information out, but it's also the job of the elected official to make sure that uh, he or she is um, listening to their constituents. So attending neighborhood association meetings, uh, every time there's a neighborhood association meeting, an elected representative, if it's not the official, someone from his or her um, world should be there, okay. uh, whether it's a friend or whatever it is. There needs to be representation in every one of these meetings because things do pop, pop up and percolate, and that stuff needs to be shared with, with the, uh, the city councilman. You also talked about economic opportunity. You said this too. We need to think boldly and focus our attention on ensuring all who live in district free profit from its success and growth. Economic opportunity is about increasing the pie for everyone because of the rising tide of progress raising all ships. And I'm wondering from a uh, race standpoint, sure. how many African-American businesses are there in district free in your mind? Not enough. And that's a, that's that and that's a flat out the reason for that quote. Okay. Is as a business owner, I we we, we set up shop on Spring Street. Yeah. Um, probably about seven eight years ago, and I've seen the comings and goings on Spring Street, and I've seen the small business owners come in, and we have not done enough uh, for African American, Hispanic, and women owned businesses in this area. Uh, so one of the things that I I would love to do, and I've had this conversation with some small business owners, okay. um, I would love to be able to to have a small business resource center as part of our district or partnering up with Councilman Mitchell and, and Mr. Gregory um, for a downtown resource center where basically it's a place where anyone can come in that's interested in opening a small business okay. and they'll get some of the background information, the one-on-one on how to open a small business. They'll get loan assistance because there's many small small business loan programs that we have throughout the state and it's just very difficult to tap into as a small business owner. One of my biggest challenges was, A, identifying the funding to open the small business. And once you receive the funding, how do you spend that money? Um, learning QuickBooks, learning all of those things that help you run a small business. I think that there's a need for that, uh, from, from certainly from, from my district. But that would be something uh, that I would love to be able to partner up with fellow councilmen to offer our constituents. And I think that's that would help uh, bridge the gap, and that would help elevate everybody because... Um, you know, sometimes if you if you receive a, a bunch of money or you come from a bunch of money, uh, it's easier. The mistakes you make could be a little bit easier. Uh, those mistakes could be um, easier magnified or not as, as difficult. But if you were on a tight budget and you, you know, you're, you're someone that doesn't understand the one on ones of, of business, if you make a ten or fifteen thousand dollar mistake, that could be very impactful on the business. So what I'm saying is that resource center would be there to basically help any individual interested in, in opening a small business and helping find funding, and once that funding is secured, helping them answer questions around QuickBooks and taxes and personal liability sure. and, and all those questions. Right. So that that's, I feel that we could do more as a city. Certainly we can do more in District 3 to answer your question. To answer your question. And I know, obviously, you just mentioned Spring Street has seen its changes, yeah. and, and including most of Charleston's east side and most of this particular city. And obviously there's been a talk about what developers can do to help give back to the community. How much of the profit do you want the developers to give back to your district if sure. you're elected? So, I mean, one of the, 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 the 
things that are challenges that I have and that I would I would share with Mr. Lewis would be, you know, it's it's simply not enough to just oppose projects anymore. You can't just say no. I think it's important to be at the table with the developers and hold the developers accountable for for that. And I know that the city has a, a loop program so the developer can come in, they could pay for the affordable housing at that at that place they're building, right. or give the the city some some money. So I have, I do have some thoughts on the affordable housing, but before I address those. Um, Part of this is making sure that you're at the table with the developers. And when you start building affordable housing, um, what you hear from the developers is it's expensive to, to develop affordable housing. Uh, so I'm not disagreeing with that. But um, what I have seen over the past 10 years okay. is large-scale developers coming in from out of town, purchasing properties, purchasing this, and then selling it off to somebody else, and then leaving Charleston. And the community that exists in that area is no better off than they were previous. That's unacceptable. That's unacceptable on my end. So as, as a councilman, I make sure I'm at the table. I make sure I hold the city accountable. And I also push for increased innovation around how we use the money the developers give for affordable housing. Um, given some of what I've heard from, from different folks in the area, I think we need to really look at how that money is being used at the city level uh, and, and rethink how, uh, how we can use it and look at other cities and look at other cities that have done it well. Uh, we don't need to reinvent the wheel, but we can certainly look at cities that have done it well and, and, and rethink how we use that money. What's the money like now at the city level in your mind? What do you mean? When you say the money at, at the city level, what, what should the city be giving? Or sure. Should, you know? um, I, I think that the, some of the misconceptions, is one example, okay. is um, spending money on single home, you know, oh, yes. building single, single story or single home affordable housing units. Right. That's, that's, that's a wonderful um, approach. But I think we also could think about building, uh, you know, condominiums or townhouses, and multi-unit uh, establishments that then the person buys, but then also loosening up the restrictions once that person wants to sell that property. So one of the ideas that I've heard that from around people in Charleston and around the country is, you know, if I'm a, if I'm an individual and I and I, you know, uh, purchase that affordable housing unit or I'm in that affordable housing unit for ten years and I want to sell that, typically here in Charleston, I believe that. You know, any any capital or equity that you build into the home right. does not come with you. So if we want to reduce or we want to um, reverse generational poverty, the biggest and most effective way to do that is maintaining someone's home, and make sure, making sure that they can build equity in their home. And when they sell that property, I'm not saying 100%, but when they sell that property 10 years, if they've lived in it for 10 years, right. that person should be able to take some of that equity. So then they can purchase a new home and start building generational wealth um, after that. So... What I'm seeing is that you know the developers are coming in, and, and that conversation is not really being had. The city's not having that conversation. And when I say how the money could be used, is I think there's more innovative approaches to 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 how do we how do we use that money, um, and that would just be one of them. Okay. Um, I think we need to have a general conversation again with with folks in, in the housing department to figure out you know what is the criteria for picking and choosing projects. I think what's happening across the city is you know folks are driving down the street and they're seeing the the large hotel projects going up. And every large-scale hotel project they see, or every large-scale project they see, they automatically assume it's a hotel. And I think part of it is just miseducation or misinformation. Some of those projects are are um, dense urban projects right. that we're going to need for the additional people moving here. And they're not really hotels. They're, they're just residential or, or commercial development projects for, for, for folks. So I think part of that is just educating folks on that and having a conversation. So I know you haven't asked me this yet, but I would call for a one-year moratorium on all of these major hotel projects. 
um, and then also have a conversation with the community about what we want our community to look like in the next five to ten years when it comes to the hotels and some of these large-scale um, projects that we have that have the residential and high density places. And right next door right now, I believe, is the hotel task force that right. they are just to develop. Right. What conversations would you have with them right now? Uh, I haven't sat on, on any of those meetings, so I'm going to be honest, I, I, I don't have an opinion on that. And me, <laughs> oh, no worries. Yeah. And you said that, uh, you, you talked a little bit about this just a second ago, but let me ask you this. How many high density housing projects are you talking? Will, will they be, will, what, where would these high density housing projects go? And how do you manage growth in 2021, 2022, and 2023 in your mind? So, I mean, right now, as you look across the city, it would be nice to be able to go to the city webpage and see those scattered out on, on some sort of map that shows where they are. I, I don't know. I, I just know the, the ones that are going up up on King Street. Oh, yeah. We've got another one slated for the old school law. Right. Um, and, and they're popping up everywhere. And I've had to take a step back because I've talked to several folks, I've had to take a step back and say, oh, well, that's not a hotel, that's a, that's a project that we have. So my concern with those is how much of that is affordable? Um, that's my, my biggest question to, to, to the city and to the developers for those projects is how much is affordable. I don't, know the, I don't know the answer to that. And also, when you talk about affordable housing, what do you define it now? As attainable housing or as affordable that's housing? That's a great question. Um, I, I, I don't know how the city or the community is defining it. I define affordable housing based on what what is our most critical need right now, and I would call that the very very affordable housing, okay. which is which is the sixty percent or less of the median income. That's where we're needing it most right now. Um, you know, I think you know making sure that teachers and police officers and firefighters live where they work is important, but I think that the segment that that's getting left out the most is the sixty percent or less median income, and that often disproportionately affects African Americans in our community. And let me get over to flooding. You said this too. Flooding is an issue that not only affects our quality of life and our property, but if not managed, will have a devastating impact on our local economy. I will call for increased investments in drainage projects across the city and will push to develop more flexible, innovative approaches to accommodating and responding to the rising tide of ocean and rivers. Would you have some sort of new funding when it comes to flooding in your mind? Um, again, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to punt the subject, but this is an, another topic that I've talked to several folks at the city level, um, experts, science, scientists that I know here locally, oh, yeah. and, and the, the general consensus is that A, we need to, to have more drainage projects, B, we need to, 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 to tap into increased uh, revenues, so whether that's from our tax base, whether that's from federal sources, and, and C, we cannot ignore the, the data around uh, climate change. Um, by and large, the, the flooding that exists here is tidal flooding okay. in Charleston. I think that's another misconception is, you know, I'm not dismissing climate change, but a lot of the flooding that happens here is all through, through tidal flooding that we have. Um, and I also like to see the city look at more innovative approaches. I know the city got dinged when, when Mayor Tecklenburg and, and the contingency went overseas to look at, um, I think it was the Netherlands, what they right. were doing. And, and, I, and I would say, you know, I, I would welcome that type of, of, of opportunity because, you know, whatever that trip costs, if they went there and looked at some of the innovative approaches, that would be just a drop in the bucket to what it could potentially save in the long run. So what I'm saying is we need to think innovatively. We need to, to look at what's happening around the world. Charleston is not unique in its, in its situation as, as we are close to the ocean. There are many urban cities across this world that are situated very similarly to, to Charleston, and we need to look at what, what they're doing. doing. And how much money do, do we have from the previous half-cent sales tax in your mind? I don't know. I don't know. Okay. 
let me talk to you about uh, a couple of issues yeah. that I wish I had more time to talk about, but sure. my camera battery's running out. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> my fault, sorry. But uh, talk to me, develop, uh, describe to me the following one word: commercial development and short-term rentals. Sure. So, uh, commercial development, as I as I talked upon, uh, touched upon, is is at a place where I think I feel like we need a pause, especially for the hotels, um, for for the residential, large-scale residential. Um, I'm not calling for a moratorium or a pause on that. I certainly would like to have a discussion with the city and understand what their their, their broader approach is. I know a lot of this is in uh, the century, um, the plan that's the 50-year plan that we have, and I've, and I've been referenced that plan by many folks. Um, I just don't know how closely we are um, aligning and governing to that plan, uh, but I would like to learn more about that. And I've had several discussions with folks about our 50-year plan. Um, the, the loosening of, of the short-term rentals. Um, while I agree that the city took took the right measure, I do th I would push for a reexamination of loosening uh, some of the short term rental restrictions on primary homeowners only. Uh, meaning, if I'm a primary homeowner and I live downtown right. and I have an accessory dwelling, a room that I want to rent out on Airbnb, right. as long as I'm meeting the life and safety codes and I'm registering that property to to the appropriate authorities and paying my fair share tax, I think that that individual and that homeowner has every right to do what they want with that property. And describe to me the following one word, Maryville, Ashleyville. Ah, diverse, was that uh, one word? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, diverse and often, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to use a few words. Okay. Diverse and often neglected. Okay. Affordable child care. Um, much needed for all parents working downtown. Jason Sacred. Uh, visionary, results-oriented, and dynamic. What would you do on day one if you elect a councilman? It's a good question. On day one, I think I would just continue what I'm doing today, which is continue to listen to my constituents. I would probably take a deep breath because it's going to be a long campaign. Uh, but on day one, I would continue to listen, listen to my constituents. I would probably set up several meetings with some folks at the city. Okay. Because um, I think one of the challenges that we have as elected officials is, uh, as I said earlier and, and prefaced earlier, um, we are not experts on everything. So it's, an, it's imperative for us to ask questions. Um, I think it's important to meet with city, city, the city officials. Um, if I'm a councilman, my, my assumption or, or legal assumption is that, you know, I will be working very closely with some uh, the person that's in charge of traffic or the person that's in charge of our affordable housing. Um, I want to hear directly from them. Um, so even before I'm elected, hopefully I'd be, I'd be able the chance to meet with them. But if, if I didn't, it would be a, a round robin with a lot of those folks to understand what are the challenges of their job. Because as a councilman, I can't hold them accountable, and I can't help articulate a vision if I don't understand the constraints that they have as, as a public servant, which which I am, so I get it. District 3, what are those top three businesses in your mind when you think of District 3? Well, I'm not going to name specific businesses, but the restaurant community in District 3 has has, has had a resurgence, especially in Upper King Street. Um, I've, I've met with and will continue to meet with several of those business owners and hear some of their concerns. So I'll, I'll just, you know, as a blanket or as a, as a group, it's the restaurant F&B community um, has, has seen a huge um, resurgence. Um, some of the large-scale residential uh, complexes, I, uh, those, those um, developers, I'd love to be able to meet with them to understand, you know, what were the challenges with the city working with the permitting process? Oh, yes. uh, what, what was that like going through? Because I'm assuming that a lot of them were going to come back to the table for another project. So it'd be nice to be able to talk with them individually. Uh, so the restaurant community, uh, the large-scale developers, um, and I would love to be able to talk with um, any of the supermarkets or grocery stores. Um, I know the Publix just came in over at West Edge, and that's been a great addition to the community. 
and I know there's a bit of consternation and, and uh, um, wondering like what's that what is going to happen at West Edge um, I know there, there's been some folks in, in, in the community that were opposed to it um, I know some folks have favored it um, but I would love to be able to talk with a, a restaurant market chain or, or, or a chain like that to, to understand are you planning any, any more places in Charleston um, especially in, in the peninsula well that's good to hear to be continued yes well, Jason Sackman, thank you so much for your time. I really, really appreciate it. Thank you this. so much, Quinn. It was nice seeing you again. Likewise. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.